Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to see you all. I hope you all feel like uh, you gained an extra hour of sleep. Uh, unfortunately, we probably also feel like we gained an extra hour of this horrible political campaigning that's going on right now. That'll be over soon enough, I pray. The good news is Uh, that we are here to worship King Jesus, who is really the one who is in control. And we're going to be looking at that this morning as we continue our series uh, called uh, In Search of a King. And we're looking at the life of David. And this morning we come to the story, a famous story, of David and Goliath. Now, whether you've been to church or not, most people have an idea of this story about David and Goliath. And if you've been with me for any amount of time, you've heard me reference this story often, and so you should be kind of familiar with it. But we're going to kind of unpack it more since, you know, it's next in our, in our series, and that's what we're going to be zeroing in on. And I want to start with a question. I want you to answer this question uh, first in your mind. And my question is this, what is it that you are afraid of? Now, I'm I'm not talking about snakes and bugs and uh, creepy clowns that are roaming the streets in San Diego lately. What is it that fills your heart with dread? Is there something that comes to mind? What is it that, that... that you would do anything that you could to avoid. Something that you hope never happens to you or someone that you love. Is there, is there anything that, that comes to your mind? Anything? A few nods? Yeah? Um, I want you to keep that in mind as we work through this passage. Okay? Because it's going to be extremely relevant to you. All right? My next question is this. As you think about the things that fill you with dread, how has that fear controlled you? And fear can control you. Fear can be incredibly manipulative. How has that fear controlled you? Anything come to mind? See, we usually react in one of two ways, don't we? It's either fight or flight. If you're like me, something scares you, you want to punch something, right? Or you want to run and hide. I feel that actually, usually I just want to take a nap until it's all over, right? One of the crazy things about the early followers of Jesus was the radical change that happened to them. They went from paralyzing fear to incredible courage. Now, when Jesus was crucified, they were filled with fear for their lives. Why? Well, because the men who planned the murder of of Jesus could track them down and have them killed by the Romans as well, right? So when Jesus was arrested, why do you think Peter denied ever knowing Jesus? Three times. But then later, the same Peter, you look in the book of Acts, I mean, none of the disciples feared anything. I mean, Peter stands before the same men and boldly proclaims, this man, these, this man whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. He boldly calls them out on what they have done. 
And so now Peter, this guy who was cowering, this guy who, who was afraid, this guy who ran, this guy who denied Jesus, this who was filled with a fear that controlled him and manipulated him, now he has incredible boldness. Now he has incredible courage. So why did they change? That's an important question, isn't it? Because as you think about the things that you're facing, the, uh, the things that, that, that fill you with fear, the things that fill you with dread, it would be nice to have a change of heart, right? To be able to face those things filled with faith and courage and hope. What was it that drove out the disciples' fear and then filled their hearts with courage? Well, <laughs> the short answer is this. They got the gospel. That's the short answer. I'll explain what I mean, but they got the gospel. And it is the gospel that is the power of God. All right? See, when Jesus was crucified, the disciples thought it was all over. And the cross didn't make any sense to them. So for 40 days after the resurrected Jesus appeared to his disciples, and what did he do? He opened the Old Testament to them, uh, you know, all the scripture that they had at that point, and he showed his disciples that all of the Old Testament is really about him. For example, we read that on the road to Emmaus, Jesus shows a couple of his disciples from the Old Testament that it teaches that it was necessary for Christ, uh, the, the Messiah that the Old Testament promises, that first he had to suffer and then enter his glory. He taught that, Jesus taught that from the Old Testament. And he taught them from the Old Testament that it was, his death was absolutely necessary for their deliverance. It was absolutely necessary for their salvation. And when they finally got it, when their eyes were finally opened to that, when the gospel finally clicked in their heads and in their hearts, they were radically transformed. Radically transformed. That is what filled their hearts with courage even in the face of death, in the face of great suffering, they got the gospel from the Old Testament. Okay, so what, right? Well, by including this in the Bible, God is saying that the same thing can happen for you and for me. The same thing can happen for us. You can be set free from fear and live a life of courage. And the love of Christ will compel you to sacrifice your, the life you've always wanted for the sake of others. It will compel you to, to give your life away to advance God's kingdom of grace. So this is absolutely critical for every single one of us here this morning because to the extent that we see the gospel, to the extent that we understand the gospel, that we see that the whole Bible is about Jesus, then we will live lives of greatness and sacrifice and peace. You will live a life of faith and hope and love. And the way that you live your life will be radically transformed. That is the power of the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy for me to imagine that one of the Old Testament stories that Jesus explained to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus was the famous story of David and Goliath. 
And we're going to look at that story. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And here's the plan. First, I want to take some time to walk us through the story and then explain and unpack a few things. Then, then I want us to think about four truths about Jesus that we see in the story that can radically transform your hearts and lives. So, here's the story. The first thing that we see is that King Saul and the Israelites were at war with the Philistines. And the reason that they're at war with the Philistines is because the Philistines were marching over to the Hebrews to slaughter them and to wipe them out. And when they get to the Valley of Elah, they stop and set up camp on that hill. And so the, the Hebrews find out about it. And so they're going to go out to meet the Philistines. And they stop at the other end of the Valley of Elah and set up camp on, on that hill. And neither one of the armies will descend down into the valley because whoever descends down into the valley are sitting ducks for the other army. And so they, they sit there, and it's an it's a, it's a old-fashioned standoff, right? But the Philistines have a solution. They send down one man, and that one man is Goliath. And Goliath was a giant. He was at least two feet taller than Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, that's tall, right? He's over nine feet tall. His armor weighs 125 pounds. The point of his spear weighs over 15 pounds. And he steps out as the champion of the Philistine army, meaning that he represents his army in battle. So if, if he loses, his army loses. If he wins, his army wins. If his army gains honor, or if he gains honor, his army gains honor. That's how this worked. And so Goliath, the Philistine champion, marches down the slope. And in verse 8, he shouts to the Israelite soldiers this. He says, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So what Goliath is saying here in this challenge is that he is going to slaughter all of God's people and there is nothing that God can do about it. Nothing at all. And when the Israelites saw Goliath and heard this challenge, verse 11 says that all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. This went on for 40 days. Every morning, every evening, Goliath stepped out, took his stand, but no one would accept his challenge because they were scared. I know I would be. So again, just time out for one second. What is filling your heart with fear? What are the giants, if you will, in, in your life? Because we all have them. Things that intimidate us. Things that rob us of of courage and, and fill us with anxiety. What is it for you? Is it fear of, of failure? A failure at, at school or failure in your career, or failure in your dreams, a failure in life in general? Or, or maybe it's loneliness, not finding that, that special someone or, or fear of, of devastating health problems and, and it, just kinda, it all just kind of shuts you down, short circuits your, your desire to follow God's 
go on, on your life. And it seems like living a life of boldness is just some fantasy that will never become real. So what, what is it for you? These soldiers were absolutely paralyzed by fear. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch about 15 miles away in Bethlehem, David Boy is watching sheep. He is the youngest of eight boys. The three oldest are soldiers in the Israelite army, and the five youngest were too young to be in the army, and David was the youngest of them all. He's just a kid, so he gets all the dirty work, right? He takes care of a a small flock, a smelly sheep, and, and he's the errand boy for the family. So his dad, Jesse, calls him in from the field and and sends him with food to his brothers who are fighting against the Philistines. And when he gets there, he runs to the battle lines to see his brother, and he's talking with his brothers. And at that point, Goliath comes stomping down the slope and begins his daily mocking and his daily defiance, threatening to slaughter them and enslave the Hebrews. And every time the Israelite army, they they, they hide in total fear. They cower in fear. But look at verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And Goliath, he's been a fighting man since his youth, he says. So David tells Saul how he killed a lion and then how he killed a bear. And he says, the same thing that happened to that lion, the same thing that happened to that bear will happen to Goliath because he defies God to threaten his people. Just as the Lord delivered me then, he will deliver me from the hand of Philistines now. Now, at this point, after 40 days, morning and evening of Goliath threatening to slaughter and enslave the Hebrews, Saul's pretty desperate at this point, right? So he basically says, whatever, sure, go for it, right? And he gives David his own armor. Now, now Saul was not as big as Goliath, but he was pretty tall for a non-giant, right? It says he was a head and shoulders above the others. And so Saul's armor was too big. And David says, you know what, I can't wear this stuff. So he only takes his staff and his sling. He puts five smooth stones in his pocket, and he went down the slope to meet Goliath. Goliath sees David and advances to meet him. And when he sees that David is only a boy with a stick and a slingshot, he despises him, right? And he says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And verse 44 Goliath says, come here, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And he goes on to say, this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And he says in verse 47, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Here comes this giant, a warrior. 
his whole life an experienced, strong, giant warrior. And David shows up in weakness as a boy. No battle experience. But he also came in the name of the Lord. He was chosen by God to show that salvation is of the Lord. So Goliath goes after David, and David starts running towards Goliath. He grabs a stone from his bag, slings it, and hits Goliath right in the forehead. And and it says that the the stone sinks deep in Goliath's forehead. He falls flat on his face. And verse 50 says, so David triumphed. And when the Philistines saw that their champion, Goliath, was dead, they turned and ran in fear. But what happened to the Hebrews? They were filled with courage, right? In verse 52, it says, Then Israel surged forward with a shout, and they pursued the Philistines and chased them out of Israel all the way back to their homeland. And that's the story. And it's one of the greatest stories. And the question is, so what? Right? Now listen, there are two ways that we can interpret this story to try to make it important to us in our lives and whatnot. We can either interpret it in a moralistic way or a gospel way. Some think that the, the, the whole moral of this whole story is that the bigger they are, the harder they fall. If you just try hard to be like Davy Boy, you too can overcome the giants in your life. Amen, you're dismissed. That may give you a little inspiration for a while, but after a while, if that's all you got, it will crush you and fill you with fear. Just the opposite. The other way you can approach this story is the gospel way with a very important question. And that question is this. What do we learn about Jesus and the gospel from this story of David and Goliath? That's what Jesus tells us to look for in in Luke 24 when he tells the disciples the whole Old Testament is about him. And so we ask, what is it that we can learn about Jesus and the gospel from David and Goliath? And when we take that approach, we learn four truths about the gospel. First is that Jesus shows up in weakness. Like David, Jesus shows up in weakness. You know what? It is the easiest mistake to make um, to not get the gospel because of Jesus' weakness. The two two disciples on the road to Emmaus said this. They said, you know, they crucified Jesus, but but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem us. They totally and completely missed the good news. They missed the power of God. They missed the gospel because they saw no connection whatsoever between Jesus' weakness and their salvation. When, when Jesus hung on the cross, I mean, they mocked him. And they said, you know, if you're the Messiah, if you're the chosen one, if you're the one that's supposed to deliver your people, then save yourself. And they're thinking, you know what? There's no way that this beaten, naked, pathetic-looking man nailed to a cross can possibly be the Messiah. And I'm telling you, that is a common attitude 
Now, there's an old classic movie called The Matrix. (laughs) How many here have seen The Matrix? Okay. In the first service, no one saw The Matrix. (laughs) It was (laughs) nobody. So this was a little lost on them. But there's this guy named Neo, right? And he's the one. He is believed to be the Messiah. He is believed to be the champion who will lead human beings out of oppression under the machines. It is classic science fiction. And at one point, Agent Smith, he's the main bad guy. He's about to kill Neo, and he says, Mr. Anderson, actually, how does he say that? (laughs) That's exactly very good. Mr. Anderson, right. He says, Mr. Anderson, if you are the one, the Messiah, the champion that is going to save everyone, then I shouldn't be able to kill you, but I am about to kill you, so I guess that you are not the one. What happens? Right before he kills him, this inspiring music starts to swell, and that's always helpful in the movies, right? And surprise, surprise, the good guy wipes out the bad guy. Why? Because the movie people know that if the good guy dies, he can't be the one. If the good good guy dies, he can't be the hero because there wouldn't be a movie because it would be a downer and no one would go see it. Right? Everyone knows that messiahs can't be killed by the enemy. And everybody knows that the gospel makes no sense. Seems like foolishness. The gospel, the idea that this weak, suffering person can save us by his grace, and only people who admit that they are weak, and only people who admit that they are sinful will be saved, just doesn't make sense. It sounds foolish. So easy to miss Jesus because of his weakness. And so we can either go with the status quo or we can be independent thinkers, thinking differently from the rest of the world. The status quo says that the cross is stupid. So here's the deal. All right? Ready? Here's the deal. The only way To be a follower of a crucified Messiah is to be an incredibly independent thinker who's willing to look like a stupid idiot. Who's ready to sign up for that? So Jesus shows up in weakness. Second, Jesus defeated the greater giant. Now, why does Jesus come in weakness? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, because the gospel says it's only through the death of Jesus that the greater giant is defeated. It's the only way to save us. And what is the greater giant? It is death, sin, and the law. 1 Corinthians says this, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death 
is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how does Jesus give us victory over death, sin, and the law? Well, the law says, do this and you will live. Love God with all of your heart and your neighbor as yourself, and then you will receive God's blessing. Amen, you're dismissed. And that's what gets preached all over the place, but it is totally void of the gospel. I mean, because how many of us have done, kept the law perfectly our whole lives and keep the law perfectly now and will continue to keep the law perfectly for the rest of our lives? Not one of us. You know what that means? That means the law condemns us. So why would we just, why would we preach the law for salvation? It condemns us. But Jesus, our champion, shows up and he lives the perfect life that we should have lived for us. He loves God and others perfectly and serves God and others perfectly for us. And then he took upon himself all of our sin. And on the cross, he died the death that we deserved, that, that, that we should have died. He died it for us. But on the third day, he rose victorious over death itself, and now we have life, true life in him. In the middle of a broken, messed up, painful world, we have life in him. Jesus defeated the greater giant. And now the third truth we learn is we share in his victory. Just as the Hebrews shared in David's victory, we share in Jesus' victory. Why? Because Jesus is our champion. You remember what Goliath said? He said, send out a champion to fight me. If he beats me, then we are your subjects. But if I beat him, then all of you are our subjects. That's the role of a champion. He represents his people. If he loses, they lose. If he wins, they win. If he gets honor, they get honor. Now, to illustrate this, over the years, I use a very common uh, illustration, sports illustration. Um, do we have any Chargers fans here? We have a very enthusiastic Charger fan in, over there. Yeah, that was the whoop whoop that you heard. And we have a few people here going kind of like this, <laughs> right? Um, and if the Chargers win, what do we say? We say, woohoo, we won, right? Yeah, you remember the illustration. You say, we won. But again, time out. What position did you play? What do you mean, we won? You didn't play? Yeah, well, I, I know I didn't play, but my team won for me. When we get the gospel... We can say we won because we share in Jesus' victory. You know what that means? That means God gives us credit for Jesus' victory. His perfect obedience to the law becomes ours, and, and his death to sin becomes ours, and his triumph over death 
becomes ours. Just as death could not hold Jesus, death cannot hold us either because he has won our victory. And the Apostle Paul tells us that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how does Jesus become our champion? We simply put our faith and trust in him to be our champion. We'll either trust in ourselves or we'll trust in him. Jesus shows up in weakness, defeated the greater giant, we share in his victory, and therefore we can face our giants with courage. Again, there, there are two basic ways to deal with giants. Moralistic thinking and gospel thinking. The moralistic way looks at David and says, you know what, if I try real hard to be like brave little Davy boy, I can defeat the giants in my life just like he did. And if that is all you got at first, again, that'll give you a little inspiration, but ultimately it will rip you off and crush you. Because he can't. It's not enough. On the other hand, Gospel thinking looks beneath the surface and asks, why am I fearful? Why am I fear filled with dread? Let's get to the heart of it. What is it that I am afraid to lose? Why do I, I fear failure? Why do I fear failure at work? Why do I fear failure at school? Why do I fear failure of you know, my dreams, whatever they may be? Because I long to be a person of significance a person of value, a person of worth. And why do I, I fear health problems? Because I long to live a life that is a life lived to the fullest. And I don't want to miss out on anything. And why do I fear loneliness? Because I long to be loved. I long for someone who, who knows me completely, including all the messed up stuff in my heart and still will love me unconditionally. See, gospel thinking looks beneath the surface. And when we look beneath the surface, if we are in Christ, we will see that what it is that we're really longing for has already been given to us in Christ, our champion. Right? And no giant in your life of any kind can ever, ever take it away. So that means... That you don't have to live a life filled with a fear of, of failure because Jesus has won the ultimate success for you. The God of the universe sees you with Jesus' success. And so, you know what that means? That means God delights in you. That means that God rejoices over you. That, mean, that means that God loves you. That means that, that God treasures you. And, and that means that God says to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Do you believe that this morning? And you don't have to fear devastating health problems. Well, because ultimately, you're not going to miss out on anything. And a day is coming when you will have a renewed body, a perfectly healthy body, and you, you will enjoy life beyond your wildest dreams for eternity because you're going to be with Jesus. 
And you don't have to fear loneliness. That you'll miss out on being loved. Jesus says uh, that he has a love for you that is more complete and more fulfilling and more comforting than what any person on this planet could possibly give you. I'm not saying that, you know, that Jesus is your boyfriend or your spouse or any of that stuff. I'm not saying that. There are people who say that. I'm just saying Jesus knows us completely, including all of the messed up stuff in our hearts and in our lives, and he loves us unconditionally with a love that is greater than you can imagine right now, and you're not going to miss out on anything. So our solution is not try harder to be like David. He was a good boy. Be like David. You're dismissed. That's not our message here. That's not our solution. Our solution is rest in Jesus. Trust him. Trust him to be your champion. Then you will be filled with courage. Then you will be filled with a desire to obey his law and to follow him no matter what. And it will be a delight to you to honor your king and follow him wherever he leads you, just like David. And so I have two closing questions for you. I mean, I want you to wrestle with these, okay? Have you gotten the gospel? Have you gotten it? First, maybe you're thinking, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure that I got the gospel. I'm not even sure that I totally understand what you're saying. And you know what? That's okay. My encouragement to you is to hang in there because Jesus was with his disciples for three years and they didn't get it. Jesus was a way better preacher than I am. I heard the gospel for over 20 years and I didn't get it. But then I did. <laughs> it, was the work, it was the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So if you're in that place where you say, I haven't got it yet, I think there are a couple things that will help. First, hang around people Hang around people with hang around with people who are talking about this. You know, most of us find the gospel through being exposed to it over and over and over again in, until it kicks in for us. God, the Holy Spirit, works through His community. But also, don't forget the easiest mistake to make, and that is not making the connection between the cross and the power of God. And so, I plead with you to trust Him today. And then my last question is this. Are you doing gospel thinking about your giants? Whatever it is, whatever it is that that came to your mind when I asked you, what is it that is filling your heart with dread? What is it that you're trying to avoid? What is it around the corner? Did Did you think about that seriously? Did you take the time to think what it is that fills your heart with dread? The thing that you fear? My question is, are you doing gospel thinking about that? Maybe you say, you know what, I got the gospel, but I need more change in in my life. You know what, most of us are in that camp, and most of us still want to run from our giants because if we're honest, we know that we cannot put them to death on our own. So I want to encourage you to know that you are not on your own. You are not on your own. You have the spirit of Christ within you, and he empowers you. 
He empowers you to put your sin to death. He empowers you to follow King Jesus and to be loyal to him and to glorify him with your life. And you also have a church community. Start being open to a small circle of Christian friends who are strong in the truth and the grace of Jesus and who will help you look at your fears through the lens of the gospel and encourage you to move forward. Maybe you're thinking, nothing scares me. I'm telling you, it's just a matter of time. And I want you to remember this. Nobody gets a free pass in this. Nobody does. And when it comes your time to be filled with fear, and it will come, and you look at that fear through the lens of the gospel, you know what will happen to you? Your heart will be transformed. You, you will experience victory in the same way the Israelites did through the victory of another. And just like David, you will live in greatness, in Jesus' greatness. And just like David, you will live with courage, Jesus' courage. And you will live in service because Jesus is the ultimate servant. And you will live a life of love for him and for his glory. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that our salvation does not depend upon us picking ourselves up by our bootstraps. That our, that our salvation, our deliverance, our better life isn't just, you know, a result of positive thinking. That you give us more than just tips and tricks to live our best life now. God, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the reality of, of our desperation for you. Some of us are very aware of our desperation for, for you. And so, God, I pray for, for comfort. I pray for your comfort and your spirit to give them a peace that passes all understanding. And, God, I pray for those of us when there are times that we're not desperate for you that by your love you would give us a discomfort that drives us to you it's so easy to live so much of our lives just trusting in ourselves and our own ability thinking that we're good enough and smart enough God, open our eyes to the reality of our desperation for you. And then open our eyes to the reality that you are our champion who has achieved victory for us. And that you share that victory with us. God, fill your people here this morning with that great hope hope that is not just some lame, wishful thinking, hope that really is a promise that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. And that we are more than conquerors because of Christ. 
God, show us our idolatry, the things that we look to other than you for our comfort and for our, our, our security. And then show us how they rip us off and let us down. I pray that you do that in this moment so that we would turn to trust you. We pray these things in your name.